There were no memorable phrases. There was no Churchillian eloquence. No well-directed Trumanesque brusqueness. Certainly no Reagan-like effort to nail down the evils of a looming Cold War. But as he sat down in the Oval Office in the White House, along with Ukrainian Interim Prime Minister Arseniy Yatsenyuk, last Wednesday afternoon, March the 12th, and then faced the White House press corps afterwards, U.S. President Barack Obama seemed to be much closer to a second Cold War than he had ever expected to be. When he won the presidency in 2008, Obama had pledged to pursue a reset of Russo-American superpower relations. In other words, to normalize them and at the same time to increase rapport between Washington and Moscow in what was then assumed to be the post-Cold War world. This reset was assumed to have been achieved in the closing years of Dmitry Medvedev's four-year presidency, the more so since Obama seemed to find it easier to converse with him rather than with the dour former KGB man Vladimir Putin. But it was Putin who resumed the presidency in May 2012, almost certainly for another two terms, this time of six years each, while Medvedev became prime minister. Since then, while Obama has seemingly continued to assume that the U.S.-Russian reset, engineered in large part by then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, is still working, President Putin has increasingly seemed more inclined to reset Russo-American and Russo-European relations back in the Cold War days of mutual antagonism. This contrast was seemingly highlighted when Putin sought to take advantage of the recent turmoil in Ukrainian politics by sending additional Russian troops, reportedly as many as 12,000, into Ukraine's Crimean Peninsula, there to link up with and protect the Crimean majority of Russian-speaking people and their pro-Russian activists and to encourage the Crimean Parliament to announce that a plebiscite would be held on March the 30th on whether or not Crimea would be granted greater autonomy. This action and proposal was emphatically denounced by Western leaders as illegal and provocative, with Obama saying it violated international law, while German Chancellor Angela Merkel turned it unconstitutional. Far from responding to this deluge of criticism, Putin made Russian aggression even more explicit on March the 6th by getting the Crimean parliament to bring the Crimean plebiscite forward by two weeks to this Sunday, March the 16th, and to now also make it a referendum determining whether Crimea should return to the Russian Federation or remain in the Ukraine with increased autonomy. But if anyone expected that this provocative behaviour would bring forth some equally provocative Obama counter-rhetoric on March the 12th, then they were deeply disappointed. Obama, always thought to be a cool customer, was once again the epitome of cool. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, before Jay takes some of your questions, I want to provide a brief update on our efforts to address the ongoing crisis in Ukraine. Since the Russian intervention... We've been mobilizing the international community to condemn this violation of international law. 
and to support the people and government of Ukraine. This morning, I signed an executive order that authorizes sanctions on individuals and entities responsible for violating the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Ukraine or for stealing the assets of the Ukrainian people. According to my guidance, the State Department has also put in place restrictions on the travel of certain individuals and officials. These decisions continue our efforts to impose a cost on Russia and those responsible for the situation in Crimea. And they also give us the flexibility to adjust our response going forward based on Russia's actions. Listening very intently was former Ukrainian economy minister, former foreign minister, and now interim Ukrainian prime minister, Arseniy Yatsenyuk, the man who began his premiership last week by saying, Welcome to hell. The day before Yatsenyuk had addressed the Ukrainian parliament as it passed a resolution urging the United States and Great Britain to utilize all diplomatic, political, economic and military means to counter Russia's intervention on the Crimean Peninsula and to preserve the Ukraine's territorial integrity. Almost certainly, as he met privately with Obama, Yatsenyuk again invoked the 1994 Budapest Memorandum signed by the US, UK and Russia in which the three major powers pledged to protect the sovereignty and territorial agreement of Ukraine, in return for which Ukraine agreed to give up all the nuclear weapons left in the country by the Soviet Union when it collapsed three years earlier in 1991. Yatsenyuk reminded Parliament that the Ukraine was a nation which had willingly given up its nuclear arsenal and received guarantees from the world's leading nations, but which found itself today unprotected, one-on-one, with a country which is armed to the teeth. Evidently, in the memorandum, the three powers, US, UK and Russia, pledged to, quote, respect the independent sovereignty and existing borders of Ukraine and to refrain from the threat or use of force against the territorial integrity or political independence of Ukraine, unquote. Remarkably, the three powers additionally agreed, quote, to refrain from economic coercion designed to subordinate to their own interest the exercise by Ukraine of the rights inherent in its sovereignty and thus to secure advantages of any kind, unquote. It would be fascinating to know how the Budapest Memorandum featured in the Obama-Yatsenyuk private conversation. Do the three powers pledge to intervene if one of the three breaks those pledges? Clearly, Russia has now done what it committed then not to do. Publicly last Wednesday, Obama indicated concern, but not commitment. We took these steps in close coordination with our European allies. I've spoken to several of our closest friends around the world, and I'm pleased that our international unity is on display at this important moment. Already we've moved together to announce substantial assistance for the government in Kiev. And today in Brussels, our allies took similar steps to impose costs on Russia. I am confident that we are moving forward together, united in our determination to oppose actions that violate international law and to support the government and people of Ukraine. And that includes standing up for the principle of state sovereignty. 
The proposed referendum on the future of Crimea would violate the Ukrainian Constitution and violate international law. Any discussion about the future of Ukraine must include the legitimate government of Ukraine. In 2014, we are well beyond the days when borders can be redrawn over the heads of democratic leaders. But the hard fact remains that Ukraine's borders are now in danger of being redrawn by what amounts to Russian aggression, though it seems that only out-of-power Western politicians are willing to call it that. Meanwhile, former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, writing an article for the Washington Post, uh, ambitiously headlined, How the Ukraine Crisis Ends, tried to see all sides of this international crisis. Quote, Public discussion on Ukraine is all about confrontation. But do we know where we are going? Wrote Kissinger. Far too often, the Ukrainian issue is posed as a showdown whether Ukraine joins the East or joins the West. But if Ukraine is to survive and thrive, it must not be either side's outpost against the other. It should function as a bridge between them. Russia must accept that to try to force Ukraine into a satellite status and thereby move Russia's borders again would doom Moscow to repeat its history of self-fulfilling cycles of self-fulfilling pressures with Europe and the United States. The West must understand that to Russia, Ukraine can never be just a foreign country. Ukraine has been part of Russia for centuries and their histories were entwined before then, unquote. As Obama continued, there was more than a hint that he must have read Kissinger's article or perhaps even consulted the former secretary. While we take these steps, uh, I want to be clear that there is also a way to resolve this crisis that respects the interests of the Russian Federation, as well as the Ukrainian people. Let international monitors into all of Ukraine, including Crimea, to ensure the rights of all Ukrainians are being respected, including ethnic Russians. Begin consultations between the government of Russia and Ukraine with the participation of the international community. Russia would maintain its basing rights in Crimea, provided that it abides by its agreements and respects Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. And the world should support the people of Ukraine as they move to elections in May. That's the path of de-escalation. And Secretary Kerry is engaged in discussions with all of the relevant parties, including Russia and Ukraine, to pursue that path. But. If this violation of international law continues, the resolve of the United States and our allies and the international community will remain firm. Meanwhile, we've taken steps to reaffirm our commitment to the security and democracy of our allies in Eastern Europe and to support the people of Ukraine. Obama concluded first by remembering Ukraine's economy, which has been crippled by Ukrainian presidential corruption, and then by some wishful thinking regarding the international situation. Uh, one last point. There's been a lot of talk in Congress about these issues. Uh, today, once again, I'm calling on Congress to follow up on these words with action, specifically to support the IMF's capacity to lend resources to Ukraine and to provide American assistance for the Ukrainian government so that they can weather this storm and stabilize their economy, make needed reforms, 
deliver for their people, all of which will provide a smoother pathway for the elections that have already been scheduled in May. Today, the world can see that the United States is united with our allies and partners in upholding international law and pursuing a just outcome that advances global security and the future that the Ukrainian people deserve. Uh, that's what we're going to continue to do uh, in the days to come until uh, we have seen a resolution uh, to this crisis. So what is likely to happen to enhance or diminish the crisis in the immediate future? It is most unlikely that Putin will postpone this Sunday's Crimea referendum. But the immediate crisis would dissipate somewhat if the majority of Crimean voters on Sunday opt for greater autonomy rather than incorporation within the Russian Federation. However, since it is highly unlikely that Putin's apparatchiks will count votes for mere autonomy, incorporation within Russia will almost certainly carry the day. Immediately, the Ukraine will be in no position to take on Russian troops and try to take back the Crimea by force of arms. More sanctions, in addition to those already applied, will be imposed upon Russia, first by the United States, but also by the European Union, probably even by a reluctant Germany. The big fear is that Putin, having gobbled up the Crimea, will then opt to further dismember Ukraine by seeking to do to the eastern Ukraine what has already been done in Crimea. The fear would diminish were Moscow to announce that all the 220,000 Russian troops presently positioned near Ukraine's eastern border, ostensibly for military exercises, were now being sent home.